Okay. Um, welcome, everyone, to Watermark. If it's your first time, if it's your hundredth time, it's just such a privilege to be here together, um, to, to really come into God's presence and to experience His Spirit at work amongst us this morning. Uh, my name's Chris, um, and we, um, we're going to be looking at the book of Acts over the next little while. Before, before I start, I just want to pray. Because I want to pray for God's Spirit to really speak to us. And if I want you to pray with me. Father, we need you. We want to hear from you this morning. I pray that my words would be your words. That you would speak. Remove anything that is not from you. Let your word Touch our hearts and let us go and do what you call us to do in the power of your spirit. Open our eyes in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if any of you have ever seen um, the US TV show Seinfeld. Has anyone seen Seinfeld? Uh, there's a few, few people. For those of you who don't know, um, it's very pop- it was a very popular show in the US. And um, a few years ago, some researchers wanted to find out why this show was so popular, because the show actually markets itself as a show with no plot, okay? Uh, and so what basically happens, it just kind of wanders from scene to scene, and it's, it's described as a show about nothing. That's the way they market it. And, um, and so researchers wanted to find out, why is this so popular? And so they went onto campuses, they did a whole load of research, and you know what they found? They found the reason that this was so popular was because it mirrored the lives of the viewers who watched it. They related totally to this life with no plot and no purpose in their lives. That's what the research showed. And I think that's really interesting because isn't that so much of actually what Hong Kong life really is like as well? You know, we're on this hamster wheel where, you know, we, we go to school and then we're dying to get through this exam. And then, and then we get through the exam and then we're, we're dying to go to university. And then, then we graduate from university and we're dying to get a job. And then we, we, we get a job, but then we're dying very soon, maybe six months afterwards, to get another job. And then we're dying to get married. And then when we get married, then we're dying to have a family. And then we get family. And then we we're dying for the family to grow up and leave so we can retire. And then when we retire, we're dying to do something meaningful, and then we're just dying. Right? Isn't that so much of life without a plot to it? Not part of a bigger story. And, you know, if you ran a startup the way many of us in this city run our lives, it would be bankrupt within a couple of months. Because, I I don't know, if you just imagine, you walk into like an IT startup and you say to an employee, what are you doing? And they'd say, I'm typing. Okay, and you say, okay, uh, why are you typing? They say, "I, I don't know why I'm typing, I'm just doing what everyone else was doing. And you'd look at that and you'd think, they're wasting something there. There's got to be more to life than that. And the purpose of the book of Acts... And the purpose of what we're going to look at is we need to know the why. We need to know the purpose. We need to know the story that we're part of. Otherwise, you'll end up just kind of doing stuff. But maybe you'll end up wasting your life. And so the book of Acts is um, 
we're going to look over the next 10 weeks at the first six chapters to help us refocus on what the story we're part of. What is it that we're meant to be about as church? What is it that it means to be a Christian in this city? Because my strong belief is God has not got us here for some kind of plotless, wandering existence. We're part of something bigger. And so we've looked over this year, we've looked at the book of Deuteronomy, which showed us the the call of God to love him and love other people. We've seen how we failed at that. The people of Israel failed. We've seen how Jesus comes along and sinners encounter Jesus. And when they meet with Jesus, there is a transformation which takes place in their lives. And we looked last week, and last week was Easter And it's very fitting that we're starting the book of Acts last week. Last week we had baptism. For those of you not here, it's just a great time. And and it's just such a, a fitting time because the book of Acts comes straight after Easter, straight after the resurrection of Jesus, and that's where we pick it up. And so what I'm going to look at today, I just want to kind of introduce the book of Acts to us, and then I want to look at power, I want to look at purpose, and I want to look at the ascended king. Okay? So I'm just going to introduce Acts, then we're going to look at power, purpose, and the ascended king. So if you've got your bulletin, have it open. I'm particularly going to, going to focus on um, verses 6 to 8, but let me just introduce Acts to you. Um, Acts is written by Luke, who Colossians 4 tells us is a doctor. He's a convert to Christianity, he's well-traveled, he's well-educated, and presumably very well-off as well to get an education, to be able to write his book, he writes some of the best Greek in the whole of the New Testament. And you know, he's also a sometime companion of Paul, because we know in the book of Acts, in chapter 16, the pronouns switch from, he says, they did this, to we did this. So Paul, uh, Luke is traveling along at some point with, with, um, with Paul, and he sees firsthand how the gospel is spreading throughout the Roman Empire. And so verse, uh, verses 1 to 5 of this book of Acts are really like the, the introduction for us. And he's writing to this guy called Theophilus, which basically means lover of God. And he's a wealthy Greek guy, presumably a young Christian, like many of us. He's going through moments of doubt. He's like, is Jesus the real deal? Is his kingdom really as powerful as you say it is? Because I look around me, and I look at the Roman Empire, and it seems so much stronger, and Christianity is like this little speck on the map. Is it real? And so this is the second time Luke is writing. This is kind of, um, the first time was the book, the gospel of Luke. You know, Luke and Acts go together, okay? They're like, you know, it's like Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back. You know, it's kind of, this is the sequel to the book of Luke, and, and if you recollect what Luke is about, and Luke is really about um, what he does, he collects a whole load of eyewitness evidence to show you, Theophilus, that what I've taught you about Jesus, this is sure, this is true, you can have certainty about this. That's what book one was about. Book two is kind of, starts off as kind of like the... Um, and previously, on, you know those TV shows which they, they kind of start at the beginning and they're like, and previously on The Amazing Race, you know, John got attacked by a hamster and then, uh, you know, and he got eliminated, you know, that kind of thing. 
Um, that's what Acts starts off with, the end previously, and he says basically, Jesus was the Messiah, the king who taught about the kingdom, he died, he rose again, and he headed to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem, that's where he died, that's where he brought forgiveness, salvation to people, and then Acts is not about going to Jerusalem, Acts is about going from Jerusalem, this gospel message going out into the world. Okay, it's about how Jesus reigns, how his kingdom spreads. You know, it says, you'll be my witnesses in Judea and in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so what you'll see is Jesus is starting a gospel movement which goes, first of all, and you'll see in the book of Acts, the first seven chapters, it's Jerusalem and Judea. Okay, that's kind of like Hong Kong Island. Okay, and then then it goes to chapter eight. It goes to Samaria. That's like Kowloon and New Territories. And then chapter thirteen and onwards, it's going out to the ends of the earth. That's kind of everywhere else, right? That's what's going. And the implication is when you get to chapter twenty-eight, Paul is in Rome and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God. And the implication is Jesus hasn't finished yet. The kingdom is still going. There's a chapter twenty-nine. Okay, And you know, we as watermark as his church are in chapter 29. There's only 28 chapters in Acts, by the way. Okay, We're in chapter 29 of how Jesus is continuing to spread his kingdom, and we're part of it. That's the story we're part of. And we're living out this extension of this gospel movement that's spreading. So that's, that's where we are. We're in that story. That's what book of Acts is about. So let's look, verses 6 to 8, and I want to show you something about power, and then purpose, and then the ascended king. Verse, um, it says, uh, verse 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You know, power is pretty vital in the world. Things don't move without power, you know? Get in your car, if there's no power, you're not going anywhere. Turn on the lights, no power, you're in the dark. One guy called Moses' name said, Power is what we exercise over others that leads them to behave in ways they otherwise would not have done, okay? Leads you to behave in ways you otherwise would not have done. I find that really, actually really helpful because um, who, who is Jesus talking to when he's, when he's talking here? Who's he talking to? It's not a trick question. He's talking to the disciples, okay? Do you remember what's happened like six weeks earlier? The disciples, Good Friday, like he's talking to a load of guys who've just denied him, who've run away in fear, who locked themselves in a room because they didn't want anyone to know that they were followers of him. These are the people he's talking to. They're totally weak wimps and cowards, okay? And then Jesus rises from the dead, brings them forgiveness, restoration, and Jesus doesn't kind of say, hey guys, I've done all the hard work of rising again, now I'm leaving it over to you. When I come back, I expect you to see some results from you guys. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, I'm going to give you power because I know that you're weak. Because I know that you're weak. Because, and this is what we saw with Peter last week, Christianity starts, continues, and finishes on your knees. 
recognizing your weakness and your powerlessness, not your capability. It starts, you cannot live the Christian life if you think you're capable of living it. Did you get that? You can't live it if you think you can do it in your own power because actually you're weak. The disciples knew that. You know, Paul, the great apostle, says, I delight in my weaknesses because when I'm weak, then I'm strong because God's power rests on me. You know, I think most people are probably like me. I delight in strength. You know, I hate it when I feel weak, right? You know, because I feel kind of vulnerable and exposed. You know, it's like you have those awkward moments of silence where, where, where it's kind of silent for a while. And, you know, you feel like when you're talking to someone and you feel a little bit naked and exposed and you've got to say something to kind of break the silence, because we don't like that feeling of vulnerability. We don't like those feelings of weakness because we want to feel in control. We want to feel competent all the time, right? Don't we? And so what we do when we feel a little bit like out of control and insecure, we try and run as quickly as possible to a place where we're feeling strong again. But Jesus says the normal Christian life, get this, the normal Christian life comes in living at the intersection of your weakness and God's power. Do you get that? The normal Christian life is living at the intersection of your weakness and his power. That's normal Christian living. And I don't know what, I don't know what kind of week you've had, but I'm just kind of looking over my week, and I'm just, <clears throat> I'm, I'm wishing that there were times that I'd been bolder. I'm wishing that there were times that I hadn't given in to temptation or eaten that extra piece of cake that I did. There, I, I, you know, I don't like feeling like sometimes I'm not quite strong enough. I'm not quite good enough at things. But Jesus says to his disciples, you guys need power. Stop trying to rely on yourself. I brought you to your knees. Now I'm going to give you what you need. And he says, power will come upon you when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So we need to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit because um, some people get weirded out by the Holy Spirit. You know, we're, um, we're happy with Father, Son, and Holy Bible, but, um, but Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, you know, it sounds a bit creepy. It sounds a bit weird, right? Um, you know, others of us are kind of a little bit too obsessed with the Spirit. You know, we judge every Spirit about whether it's Spirit-filled. And, and what that really means, I'm not quite sure what that means, but what I think it means is there's a kind of special kind of atmosphere with a kind of happening by, vibe, and God's Word often is kind of secondary to some good feelings that I have. That's often the way we define it. But John 15 says this, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me. Now, we need to get this. Every Christian, if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit of God living in you. But there's something we forget. J.R. Packer, who's a a British theologian, he said this about the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit is like floodlights, Okay, floodlights. You know, if you go to the the rugby sevens, you don't go uh, like at night. Wow, aren't the floodlights amazing? Right, you're not kind of focusing the whole time on the floodlights. The the floodlights are there to help you focus on the game. Right, 
And so he says, actually, the Holy Spirit is not there to get you obsessed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is there to get you obsessed by Jesus. He's to reveal Jesus to you through his word, to convict you of your sin, to empower you to live and obey him and to speak of him so that you're so filled with Jesus that it's just overflowing, that he wants to equip you with what you cannot do and fill you with what you cannot fill yourself with, which is so much more of him. That's what the Spirit is there to do. And he does it in a number of ways. And Luke uses the terminology here. He says, and he uses interchangeably. He says, Spirit will come upon you. You'll be baptized. You'll be filled with the Spirit. You'll be clothed with power. Those are all words that Luke uses to describe the Spirit. And and he's describing here not just something of conversion, this filling with the Spirit, because it happens, this filling of the Spirit, this baptizing of the Spirit happens again and again and again in the book of Acts, you know, to the same disciples. So in, in Ephesians 5, Paul tells the church, keep on being filled with the Spirit, okay? That's continuous tense. So what is that like? What is that like? Well, there's a, there's a couple of different things which I think it means. Um, Romans 8, it says, The Spirit bears witness, there's that word witness again, to your spirit that you are children of God. Okay? He bears witness to your spirit that you're children of God. The Spirit reveals the gospel, God's word to you, in a way that takes it out of your head and puts it down here into your heart and sets you on fire. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, who's a Welsh preacher, he used to use this, this analogy. He said, the filling with the Spirit is like a father walking down the road with his son, holding his son's hand, and the son feels safe and secure. But then suddenly, the father sweeps down, picks up the son, holds him, hugs him, kisses him, tells him how much he loves him. And then he kind of goes to put him down. Then he brings him again and holds him again and tells him he loves him, then puts him down. They carry on walking again along the street. And that son, as he's walking down, Lloyd-Jones says this, you can scarcely contain yourself and you want to cry out, my father loves me, my father loves me. Oh, what a great father I have. What a father, what a father. That's what the Spirit wants to do in our lives, to excite us about Jesus, about who, what it is to be his children. There's a deep assurance, a confidence of the truthfulness of what Christ has done on the cross. And we, we find that assurance and that confidence in his love so that we don't have to be so self-conscious anymore. It drives out fear and it produces joy that we're loved. We're loved. And we don't rely on experiences. We've got to be careful. We don't rely on experiences uh, to, to kind of base our faith on. Our faith is not based on feelings. It's based on the Word of God. And the everyday experience of faith is walking hand in hand with your Father. That's what faith is like. 
hearing his voice through God's word, the Bible. But what he then wants us to do is, as he calls us on a mission which we cannot do, to obey him in ways that we know we cannot, he wants us to call out to him in our weakness and to cry with expectation that he'll fill us with his spirit, with his love, which will embolden us to go out and proclaim his word. Tim Keller says, the Spirit enables you to say, if someone as all-powerful as God loves me like this, delights in me, has gone to infinite lengths to save me, says he will never let me go, and is going to glorify me and make me perfect and take everything bad out of my life, if that is true, why am I worried about anything? Why am I worried about anything? You see, in our weakness, the Spirit wants to give us a new confidence in Christ and His Word, which sends us out with new boldness. Do you know what happens? Peter, you know what Peter was like last week? He just total coward. He was a chicken. No courage in front of a servant girl to stand up for Jesus. After Pentecost, Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he's out in the middle of his crowds, He's out in the middle of those who even killed Jesus, and he's testifying to the truthfulness of the gospel and how amazing Jesus is. You know, he's gone from being a chicken to a lion. And he gets arrested. And when he's arrested, you know, he's taken before the authorities, and they all see he's not very educated. He's not a great speaker. He doesn't know how to, how to do all the kind of great eloquence. But, you know, he's filled with the Spirit, and he just speaks with boldness. And you're like, everyone's looking, what happened to that guy? What happened to him? What happened to Peter? He's speaking the word with boldness. The Spirit wants to fill us in our weakness. And you know, I look at my life, and I often wonder, in my life, and I wonder if you do in yours, are there things which are going on in your life, which can only be explained supernaturally by the power of the Spirit working in you. And I'm not just talking kind of big miracles, although I believe God does that. I'm also talking the spouse who perseveres year after year with somebody in praying for their unbelieving partner, even though you want to give up. I'm talking about the employee who stands for Christ, even when it could cost them their job, because they refuse to act unethically because they want to honor Christ. It's what Jordan said about Sawyer last week, who was so timid before and is now standing up and talking about her faith. And it's only the glory of God that can do that. You know, one of the things I think that stops me, stops us experiencing the power of God is that we want to be safe. We want to have everything so we feel in control. We want to do things so we don't want to step out because we don't want to feel uncomfortable. We don't want to feel inadequate. We don't want to feel incapable of doing things. So we just stick to what we know how to do. Anyone do that? But we won't see his power until we're weak, until we get to seeing where he wants us to go and we're on our knees saying, Jesus, unless you do this in me, I cannot. And that's where his power is shown. That's why 9.55 on a Sunday, we're, we're getting people together to pray. And if you want to see God's power in this church, 
in your life, I encourage you to come 9.55 every Sunday to come and pray and seek God for that sense of his power which to do what we cannot do. We need Jesus. We need his spirit. Do you want to live an explainable life? Or do you want to live a life which is only explained by the glory and power of King Jesus through his spirit? I do. That's the power. Let's think about the purpose. Because the power is not just for ourselves. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and on all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, I'm, I'm, I'm really encouraged when I look at the disciples because they're so much like you and me. I mean, Jesus died, risen from the dead, taught them everything about the kingdom of God. And after all that, they're thinking, Jesus, are you now going to restore Israel? What that means is like, are you now going to bring us back our national pride so we can make life comfortable for ourselves and we can have a great time here together? You know, you're going to bring down the property prices, stabilize the markets, provide abundant free school places. And Jesus says, guys, you're thinking Israel, I'm thinking the world. You're staying local, I'm thinking global. You see, he says, the power is to come so that you can be witnesses, my witnesses, my witnesses. What's a witness? Well, Luke is actually picking up some language from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 43, where he says, um, it says, I, I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed, and you are my witnesses. That's Isaiah. And Luke's picking that up, and he's wanting to say, what is a witness? A witness is someone who has seen and experienced something, Right? Someone who's seen and experienced something. The disciples were witnesses to the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. That there was no Savior besides Him. And they were to proclaim that to all the nations around them. Now, Lord Jones again says there's a difference between an advocate, a lawyer. My wife's a lawyer, so I've got to be careful. But an advocate and a witness... You see, a lawyer, an advocate, can prepare a case dispassionately, like not really fully emotionally involved. Their only invested interest can be, I put can just to get out of trouble, okay, can be money, pride, or their own reputation, right? But a witness in the court is someone who's involved, who says, I saw it, I experienced it, I was touched by that event. It's different. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you who has caused you to see and experience something about Jesus, right? You see, if you haven't, if you say, well, I just come to church, then you're probably not a Christian. Because the definition of a Christian is someone who the Spirit of God has shown the gospel in your life and has changed you to see Jesus, Now, the problem 
with the way we talk about the Spirit often these days is we talk about it, we want the power, it's all exciting, and we all want to make it about making my own little world a bit better. That's what the disciples want. But the Spirit witnesses, do you remember that word? It keeps coming up, witnesses to your Spirit so that you can then be a witness to the world. Do you get how that goes? So he's witnessing to you about Jesus' love for you so you can go and witness to others about his love for them. He speaks God's word to you through the Bible, through sermons, through others, so that you can speak it to others. That's how God's kingdom spreads. It spreads through his word by the power of his spirit. That's our mission as Watermark. Do you get that? That's our mission. We're part of this story to spread his word. But you know... Whenever a community group becomes simply a place to be with friends, whenever it becomes, whenever you come just to listen to a sermon for yourself, and there's no overflow to others, that's no longer Jesus' kingdom. That's my kingdom. It's what I, I call constipated church. Food goes in, nothing comes out. Don't take that too far, that analogy. But, but it's dangerous. If you keep eating and nothing's coming out, okay, I'm putting images in your mind here, but you get the idea. You're, that can kill you. That can kill you. And the question is, is that you? Are you receiving but not telling? Are you gaining but not showing? Are you having the Spirit witness to you, but you're holding it in? Are you a constipated Christian? Because I confess that often I am. And we need to repent of that. Because we're missing the story we're part of. What's witnessing? Witnessing is simply experiencing Jesus, falling in love with Jesus through his word, in our lives and being transparent about it with other people. That's all it is. Experiencing God working in your life, speaking to you and just being transparent about it with others. You know, we do it all the time. I was on, on Monday. We went out with Theo's family. We're going hiking. And the kids, they love football. Do you know what? They spent a whole lot of time witnessing to me about how every player that they like is great and amazing. They witnessed about the greatness of Lionel, Lionel Messi. They witnessed about so many players. You know, we witness about TV shows. We witness about our kids. Like, how many parents of you have a new baby, and then you're like, oh, yeah, I'm just a bit embarrassed to talk about it? We're not, because, because when you've got something which really touches your heart, some way, somehow, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. And if you're not a Christian and the idea of sharing about Jesus seems strange or seems like you're imposing your views on other people, just think, if you have a friend who's got incurable cancer and you discovered a cure for it, wouldn't you want to tell them? Like, wouldn't it actually be incredibly unloving not to tell them? right?
But so often what happens is life happens, I get distracted, I want to be comfortable, and we become inward. And when we do as a church, we become aimless, and we miss the power of the Spirit because we think we can do it. But we need Him on our knees. And you know, let me ask you a question. If you're a Christian, when was the last time you actually witnessed to somebody about your faith? When was the last time you shared? I'm not saying gave a 15-minute sermon. I'm not even saying gave, gave, um, gave a whole load of principles. I'm just saying shared something about Jesus with someone who didn't know. That's not a question to lead you into guilt. That's a question to challenge you. Because, you know, when somebody says to me, and I say this to people as well, you know, well, I don't have many opportunities. I know, I know I've experienced that. But the first thing I ask is, well, have you prayed about it? Have you prayed for opportunities? And do you know what my answer normally is? Well, no, not normally. That's normally the response. You know, even this week, just even preparing this, I've had to repent of the times where I've actually, I know this, but I've stopped praying for the opportunities. And so every day, like, I'm now praying before I go out of, the, out of the house with Fiona, we pray, God, give us opportunities today to share you. Give us the boldness to be able to take them. Give us the wisdom to know how to do it. And if I don't give those opportunities, then let me just honor you anyway. And you know what? I'm getting so many more opportunities. And you're so much more aware of them when you start taking them. I'm not saying run straight into your office tomorrow morning, handing out tracts and everything all on the desks, you know. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we witness to people in a context of getting to know them, intentionally building relationships, loving people, listening to them, but just being transparent in the context of relationship. That's what it is. That's what it is. And when we have no idea where to start, we begin with prayer. We begin with prayer. We say, God, Spirit, you need to lead me because I have no idea what to do. And he'll show you. He'll give you ideas. He'll show you. But we're a church for those who are not in church. That's what we're here for. There's power. There's a purpose. Purpose is the mission to proclaim Jesus. The power is the, 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 the fuel to be able to do that. Final thing. There's an ascended king. Ascended King. I don't have time really to go into depth in this, um, but I don't know if you realize how significant the ascension is in Christian life. Um, It says at the end of the passage, Jesus was lifted up in a cloud, took him out of their sight, and two men come down and they say, this Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. He's ascended. And Jesus says the ascension, sorry, Tim Keller says the ascension is a bit like the detonator which sets off the bomb of the, the resurrection, the death of Jesus and the resurrection. Everything that he accomplished on the cross, forgiving sins, defeating death, rising again, all of that is detonated when he rises again. And he ascends to the place at the Father's right hand. That's what Acts 2 says. He's exalted at the right hand of the Father. 
You see, because where he's exalted, he's directing his mission through his spirit. He's ascended to the throne where he reigns. Now, if I ascend to the throne of England, there's two ways I could do it. I could go up into Buckingham Palace and I could just walk up the steps and I could go down and sit on Elizabeth's throne. Now, what would change if I did that? I'd probably get thrown out and put in jail. That's probably all that would change in the UK. I might make news, but nothing much would change. If you, if you physically just go up some steps, it doesn't, doesn't actually change a lot. But if Prince William or Prince Harry or any other princes ascend to the throne, what happens? What happens? There's a regime change. Something significant has happened which could, although they're pretty insignificant now, but in the past would have shaped the whole of the country. You see, ascension is not just kind of some spatial idea of kind of going up. It's actually an idea that he goes up to reign on the throne. And when the last things that he says are, all authority, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Do you get that? He says, all authority has been given to me. Then he says, therefore, go. Go, because I'm reigning. I'm on the throne. Therefore, go with a confidence. And what that means right now, whatever is happening in your life right now, whatever is happening in this church right now, whatever is happening in this city right now, Jesus is on the throne and he's reigning. Do you get that? He's reigning. It's under his control. And there's, as he reigns, his kingdom is unstoppable. Because he's on the throne, and nothing's going to stop him. At the ascension, 100 people were following Jesus. Bit by bit, that spread throughout the entire world. Till now, there is Christians in every single country of this world. When his word is proclaimed, when people are his witnesses, the spirit empowers and leads and guides. He's going to do his work. Is the final two things. That is an encouragement and a challenge. Because I don't know about you, sometimes things happen a lot slower than I wish they did. Anyone get that feeling? There are people I want to become Christians who I've been praying for a long time for them to become Christians. And they haven't yet. There are things in myself that I want to change and it just doesn't seem to happen as quickly as I want them to. There are things in the church that I want to change and they don't seem to happen as quickly as I want them to. And you can get discouraged and feel, oh, is it worth it? But the doctrine of ascension is liberating because it means if Jesus is truly reigning, then things are going absolutely according to his plan and it's not out of control and he's going to do what we cannot do. He's going to accomplish his kingdom purposes. You know, I just go back to the story of Sawyer and Jordan last week. <clears throat> when we have given up praying, Jesus is still reigning and working 
I know there are people in this congregation who you have been praying for decades for family members to come to Christ. And I know last year, two or three of your fathers came to Christ in their 70s and 80s. Just when we give up hope, the kingdom still works because God is reigning. That's the encouragement. doesn't matter how slow it feels. He is working it out. You can trust him. But there's a challenge. Here's the final thing. If Jesus is reigning, one day he'll return, and he'll look at all that has been doing, and he'll look at how much we've turned to him on our knees saying, we need you. And he'll look at whether as a church, whether as individuals, we lived life wandering around or in part of his story, not perfectly, but with him. I went to a bowling alley this week. It's amazing if you go to these bowling alleys. Because sometimes, have you seen, there's these guys, they're just dressed in all the gear. You know, they look, they look really cool. They look just so professional. They've got all this gear. They've got the glove and everything. They've got their own ball as they come in. And they're all looking kind of really cool. And, and you know, I'm seeing them coming along. And they do even the little foot thing, you know. They kind of, you know, they, they look so professional. And I, and I saw them as coming up to do this and, and, and doing all the stuff. And then I saw them and, and, and I was thinking, wow, they're just going to swerve the ball around and do all these kind of crazy things. And it's going to hit their strike every time. And one of them comes up. He does this. And it's just like a three-year-old bowling. It's like kind of plops on the ground and just kind of trickles along and then goes into the gutter. And I'm like, what's going on there? And, and, and it wasn't just one. There was a few of them. And I thought about it. At the end of the, the, their, their, their time bowling, if they looked up at the scoreboard, it doesn't matter how great the clothing looked like. Doesn't matter how great the kind of technique looked like. Doesn't matter about actually any of the things. The key purpose was did they hit the pins? And it doesn't matter as a church how beautiful we look. It doesn't matter how, how, how wonderful our Bible studies are. It doesn't matter about those things. But are we doing what Christ has called us to do? Are we doing what he's called us to do? Not in our own power because, you know, the ball which you hold is actually too heavy for you to bowl. We can't be witnesses by ourselves. I don't have the power for that. I know, I mess up every week. But he says, I want the Spirit to come alongside you because you know what the Spirit is? It's like he comes alongside you, holds your arm, and he says, okay, and he holds it, and he's the one with his power that bowls the ball towards the pins to do what we cannot do. And when we fail, and when we actually fail to trust the Spirit, and we just we do it and we drop the ball in the gutter, he just says, come back to me, turn back on your knees, realize your weakness, repent, and let's go again. Because I'm the one who's going to do it. I'm the one who's going to build my kingdom. There's a power. You're part of a story, which I'm working out. Will you trust me? Will you get on and do what I've called you to do? I want us to pray. Because in a second, what I want, I have up here, you may not be able to see it. I'll see if I can move these. I have a a banner. It's actually a stretcher. I've taken the other part out. We did this a few years ago as part of Watermark. 
And what I want you to do is, this is a stretcher because stretchers are meant to carry people and save them, to bring them to Christ. Like the man who brought his, his, his paralytic guy on a stretcher to bring him to Christ. What I want us to do is I want us to pray for a second. I want us to spend a minute, maybe we need to repent. Maybe we need to just run back to him and, and Father and say, I've been distracted. I'm not doing what you've called me to do. Maybe you're not a Christian and you need to actually think, does my life have a real purpose? Am I part of a story? Because Jesus wants you to be part of his story. And if you're not, he calls you to come to him today. But I want you to come up in a minute. When, you've, when, you've, when you spend a minute just praying, I want you to come up. And I want you to write the names of one, two, or three people that you have on your heart that you would want to be able to witness to, that you would want to come to know Christ. And I want you, as you do that, just to be praying. Praying. Praying for opportunities. Praying that God might work in their lives. His kingdom word would come. And he would save them. So let's just shut our eyes for a minute. If the band wants to come up. Just want you to think. Am I struggling to trust him? Where am I? Do I just need to ask for him to fill me with his love again and experience him through his word again? Just spend a minute just with Christ now. And then when you're ready, I just want you to think, one, two, three people, I want you to come up and to write their names on here. And we'll pray for them.